Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Jesus sent the disciples on a mission trip. But he took the time to equip them. He gave them the word. He gave them instruction on how to do the mission trip. In fact, Mark lets us know, he tells them, look, go into a house, and if they receive you, stay there. But if they don't receive you, wipe the dust off your feet and go on to the next village. Now, Mark, he makes the instructions very brief because Mark has a goal. And every goal, he just is trying to get us through the story to get us to his point. If you want to learn greater instruction about how to do a mission trip, well, you can go to Matthew 10 because Matthew gives us the details of the detail as to what Jesus communicated when he gave the word on how to do ministry. He gave him detailed instruction. And from this experience, the Holy Spirit spurs the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, look what the Apostle Paul writes in regards to what Jesus did in preparing the disciples for the work of the ministry. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity. Paul says that gifts have been given of the Holy Spirit so the saints can be equipped for the work of the ministry. You see, follow Jesus' example. Jesus gave them the word to prepare them for the work. This word equipped, it means the process of making someone fully ready to do the work of the ministry. At Calvary Chapel South Bay, we follow Christ the same way that Paul did. And so here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, we teach the word of God to equip you for the work of the ministry. Did you know that the work of the ministry is not just for Pastor Chet? You see, I have a work in the ministry. As the pastor teacher, my call is to equip the body for the work of the ministry. And so I teach on Sundays. I teach on Sunday nights. I teach on Thursdays. We have life classes. We have men's life. We have women's life. We have kids' life. And all of it revolves around teaching the word of God. And let me tell you why. Because we take our job seriously. God's given us a ministry, and that ministry is to teach the Word, and we've taken that job seriously, and so should all of us, because we are being equipped for the work of the ministry. Let me tell you what that means. Everyone in here, not just myself, has a job to do for the kingdom. You see, Paul calls us in this very text, the body of Christ. And let me tell you something about the body. If one part of the body is not doing its function and doing its role, the rest of the body is in pain. 
the rest of the body is hurting. And each of us are part of the body of Christ. And if we are not fulfilling the ministry that God has given us, do you realize things in the body begin to break down? And so what Mark does, he will walk us through Scripture with four points that we're going to learn today on doing the work of the ministry. Would you go back with me to Mark chapter 6? We will pick it up in verse 30. Mark chapter 6, if you're taking note, which I encourage us all to be students of God's Word, the first point that I want you to write down is join the quest of doing the work of ministry. Join the quest of doing the work of ministry. It's quite an adventure, and that's why I use the word quest. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. I love the excitement of those that come back from a mission trip, and that's what's happening with our disciples You see, when you come back from a mission trip, you experience the supernatural. The stories are just incredible. The things that you see and the things that you experience. It's why I share so many missionary stories with you, because my hope is to spur you to go on one. Now, you might listen to my stories and say, well, I'm not going with him on a mission trip. Look what happens. I'm still alive. That's the beauty of the story. I get to watch God do supernatural things, and my hope is to spur you to want to do the same. In fact, it's exactly what happens. The 12 disciples come home, and they tell Jesus everything that they got to witness and everything that they got to see, and they spur another group to go on the mission field. And Jesus, in just a few moments, he's going to send out 70 So first he sent 12, but there's 70 more that are listening to the story of the disciples, and now they want to go on the mission field. And you can read that all in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Now when they come back, this group of 70, having been spurred by the stories of the 12, when they come back, the Bible says they return with joy. Look what God did. We experienced the supernatural. Demons were cast out. People were healed. And this is what's so wonderful. When you go on a mission trip, it's like you just expect God to do the supernatural. Even Jesus, when he heard the 70 return, he looked up into heaven, and the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Because I need to let you know something. Our work for the ministry brings down the work of the enemy. Our work of the ministry, our work for the kingdom brings down the work of the enemy. Now, I want you to po- I want to point out something because Mark repeats this over and over again in his gospel. Look back at Mark chapter 6 verse 30. They told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught. What they had done and what they had taught. They did the work of the ministry and they also preached the gospel because the two go hand in hand. Serving people goes along with preaching the word. That's the way that we do ministry. We don't do one without the other. Mark continues to repeat this, and it's so important in our world. 
because so many people are willing to go and dig a well so that people can have water. But when you ask them to share their testimony and give the gospel, they don't know what to do. Preaching the gospel and doing the work is the way that we do ministry. And it's quite an adventure, trust me. That's why we got to join the quest. But number two, I want you to write it down. You got to be at rest. You got to be at rest. Would you take a look with me now at verse 31? And he said to them after this mission trip, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Stop there if you would. Let me tell you something. If you think I'm about to recruit you for kid life or to go on a mission trip, hold your horses because about what you're going to hear. Jesus is very aware of the toil and the heartache that's involved with ministry. Even Paul would tell the church there in Galatia, he would tell them, don't grow weary in doing the work because ministry is hard. Ministry can be difficult. Ministry can be a challenge. Now, you might be going, wait a second, Pastor Chet. This is a great message to get signups for a mission trip. Like, just keep positive and keep going and see what happens. No, I want to give you the real deal. And Jesus knows it. He went to a cross. Ministry can be difficult. It can even be exhausting. You should have seen our volunteers at the end of harvest. They were exhausted. In fact, ministry can be hurtful. Do you know that people can say things that hurt your feelings? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Jesus sees the disciples are spent. He sees they've worked hard. They've been on a mission trip. And he says to them, hey, let's get away. Let's, Let's take a rest. But I want you to know what my point was. My point was not take a rest. My point was be at rest. Have you ever been on vacation and you get back and you're overwhelmed within three minutes of walking in the door? Has that ever happened? Hello? Okay. We went to Canada, came back. I walked in the door and my dog had missed me so much it peed everywhere. Everywhere. My son said he was about to take out the garbage. I had to mop, clean. I had to wash. I had to... Then something happened here at church within two hours. Then I had another crisis that happened. And I looked at Andre and I said, we have to get back to Canada today. (laughs) Has it ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to you? Let me tell you why. I want to help you understand There's a difference between taking a rest and being at rest. You see, God believes in rest. He created a day of week to teach us to rest. It's called the Sabbath. He created it for us. In fact, Mark told us earlier that the Sabbath was created for man and man was not created for the Sabbath. It was given to us to teach us how to rest and to be at rest. It wasn't necessarily just to have Sunday off and enter back into the crazy, chaotic world on Monday. No, it's not just about looking forward to Sunday. It's about being at rest 
your entire life. Let me give you an example. It's Leviticus chapter 16. You don't need to turn there. But the priests are busy about doing ministry. And so what God tells them to do is wear linen garments. I want you to wear linen garments. I know it's hot in the desert, and I don't want people to see you sweating while you're doing ministry. For example, you work hard Monday through Friday. Saturday is your honey-do list, and Sunday you're asking me to come and serve in kid life? Do you know how difficult my week is? Jesus does. But when you come and serve, he doesn't want you coming with, do you know what I went through this week? (laughs) Kids, sit down. (laughs) I'm a kid life serving Jesus. No, that's not the heart behind the ministry. You see, Jesus, God tells the priest, wear linen garments. I don't want to see anyone seeing you sweating. I don't want anyone seeing you burdened. I don't want anyone looking at you going, wow, they got to wear the big grand poobah uniform in the middle of the desert in the hot of the sun and look at them sweating and laboring over all that they're doing. No, that's not God's heart. He wants us to be at rest. And Jesus sets an example for us. Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I want you to see this example. Now remember, Jesus is with his 12 disciples in John's gospel chapter 4. And Jesus is on a journey. John chapter 4, I'm going to pick it up there in verse 6. John chapter 4, verse 6, Jesus has sent his disciples to Samaria. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And verse 6 says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, look at this, being worn out, being wearied, being tired from his journey, sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. Jesus is worn out. He's had a busy ministry day, and we're going to see that day in just a moment. And now he's on his way to Jerusalem. He decides to sit down by a well. You know the story. A woman comes on the scene, and Jesus goes right into ministry. If that was me, I would find the local olive tree and hide behind it so that I could get out of having to talk to anyone. Not Jesus. This woman comes on the scene, and he ministers to her. And he leads her to himself. She goes back to the Samaritan village. And now Jesus has a revival on his hands. Can you believe it? He's weary. He's tired. But Jesus Christ, oh, no, 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 no. He decides, I'm going to minister to this woman. Turn with me to verse 34. Well, the disciples come back and they see Jesus talking to a woman. (gasps) What is he doing? I can't believe he's talking to a woman. Now, this was very anti-cultural in the first century world. But can I tell you that Jesus cares less about worldly culture? He cares about the eternal kingdom. And he's ministering to this woman. The disciples come in on the scene. And in John chapter 4, verse 34, when the disciples have no idea where his energy is coming from, he says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Wow, Jesus. Ministry rejuvenated you. Ministry rejuvenated you and refreshed you because you trusted in God. 
You knew that he wouldn't give you anything more than what you could handle. And even though you were tired, even though you were worn out. Now, there's many of us that used to do ministry. We used to be in the choir. We used to do kid life. We used to be a greeter. We used to serve in the cafe. Well, I got worn out. I mean, those, those kids are killing me. And I'm going on a mission trip every year. That was just breaking my budget. And we all have reasons why we used to be about ministry. But remember, we're called to be busy about the work of the ministry. And here is Jesus weary. But he trusted God. You see, when we are at rest with God and we trust him, we will do whatever ministry God gives us or puts in front of us. Number two, be at rest. Number three, number three, if you're taking note, in ministry, take the tests. Take the tests because there will be tests. So you might as well go ahead and take them. Go back with me to Mark chapter 6. Let's see what happens as we pick it up in verse 33. Mark chapter 6, verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before him and came together to him. So let me explain. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee The people see him and see where he's going and know where the town is. So they run around the Sea of Galilee instead of taking the boat. And now this multitude of people meet Jesus on the other side. That's the story, verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude. Now, maybe you'll underline this. And was moved with compassion for them because they were like a sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. So send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Do you remember earlier I said I love when people come home from mission trips? But there's something that I don't love about mission trips. It's when the Shekinah glory of the mission trip begins to fade. It's when there's a danger that the excitement of what happened on the mission trip wears off and who we were and what we experienced on the field or at the community outreach is forgotten when we get home. You see, the disciples are basically saying, we're done. Jesus, you told us to go on a little vacation, and all of a sudden these 5,000 people show up? Like, you said we needed some rest. You're right. No more work, Jesus. Send them out. Now, they're not saying that. What they're saying is this. Jesus, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Why didn't you send them to 7-Eleven and in and out in the various villages around? Because that is a very wise thing for you to do. There's no possible way that we're feeding. That's what they sound like. But in their heart, you were going to discover is we're done. We're spent. We're over. I can't do any more ministry. And what they did was they came up with a practical excuse to get these people out of there. Can you imagine? I'm in the lobby. I meet you. 
God bless you, get out. Hey, God bless you. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Hey, God bless you. We got another service. Can you remove your parking space? Hey, God bless you. Get out. You're talking way too long. Can you imagine if that's how I greeted you out in the lobby? Hey, God bless you. Get out. That's the heart of the disciples. They're done. But can I tell you something about ministry? People are priority in ministry. And so Jesus sends them a little test. And he says to them, you give them something to eat. You see, there's a problem, and the disciples don't want to take the responsibility of dealing with it. God has put a problem in front of them, and they want to remove themselves from the problem. But Jesus brings it back to them and says, you give them something to eat. You meet their needs. Can I tell you something? Maybe you'll write these down. God puts problems in front of us for us to solve them, not to run from them. He puts problems in front of us, and he says, you meet the need. That's God's heart. And let me tell you something else about God. He will always give a greater task than ourselves, greater than our provision, greater than our supplies. And so the disciples are like, hey, All we got is five loaves and two fists. This is enough to feed us. I mean, don't tell him, Philip, how much we got. It's like, (laughs) well, if I don't, he'll know already he's God. So I might as well be honest and tell him the truth. Can you hear the argument going on? They're like, hey, we got five loaves and two fish. This is a lot of people. I know Jesus. He's so generous. He's going to have us give our food. So tell the people, go away, Jesus. Go to 7-Eleven. We've got our five loaves and two fish. You can just hear the argument. And they said, Jesus, all we got. But that's the point. The point of God giving you a greater task than yourself is to make you dependent on him. Just ask Noah what he felt when God showed up and said, build a boat. Excuse me? And don't worry about the animals, I'll bring them. Really? Every animal I've walked up to has run away from me. So how are you going to do this thing? Think of Moses. Hey, you're going to go deliver 5 million people out of Egypt. Excuse you? (laughs) Think of what these guys were thinking, but God gave them a task greater than themselves so that God alone can receive glory. And when we look back at the ministry that God has given us, we will say, look what the Lord has done. Let me tell you what else he was doing. He was testing their faith because the primary tool for the work of the ministry is faith. He was using this to let them know, you've got me. You can ask of me anything. And what God was doing was building their faith. Now, this test reveals several principles about being engaged in ministry. So let's go through them real quickly. Take a look at verse 39. Verse 39, the Bible says, Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Let me tell you something about ministry. It always begins with direction from Jesus. And we know now, according to Ephesians 4, that we are all called to the work of the ministry. We have the direction. And our goal of the direction is to lead people to green grass. Just imagine I'm out in the lobby. Let's go back there one more time. You come to me with a need. Hey, will you pray for me? No. I don't know why you came to me in the first place. 
don't you see the line behind you? I mean, can you, for real? Like, hello, goodbye, move along your way, okay? Can you imagine if I said that to you? I don't care how long the line is. People can look and see you in tears. They want to minister to you as well. I'm concerned about you, and I want to pray for you. Now, here's the heartbeat. The understanding is here that we're always leading people to green grass. That's the heart of ministry. When you have the direction, the goal is to lead kid life to green grass, your mission trip to green grass. The hope of ministry is that we are leading people to a better place than where we found them. So Jesus, in verse 40, goes on and says, let's look at this. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. Let me tell you something about ministry. Ministry is always in order because God is not the author of confusion. So when you come to me with a ministry idea, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it next week. Did you do this? Have you done this? Did you do, do you know what it takes for me to do Sunday nights? I have to prep the staff. That's taking weeks. I've got to learn lights. I've got to learn sound. I've got to learn how to do this and do that. I am purposing to understand everything that needs to happen for Sunday nights because I want to lead you to green pastures. If you come in here, the lights aren't on, the mics don't work, the screen's not on. Think of how you're going to feel. This guy has no idea what he's doing. You see, God always does things in order. He is not the author of confusion. And when the best way to lead a sheep to a green pasture is with structure and routine and understanding, always with the willingness to let the Holy Spirit interrupt whenever he wants to. Verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. I need you to understand the most important point about being in ministry. Prayer is the work of the ministry. It's the work of the ministry. Prayer displays our dependence on God to bless the work. It's like Moses when he said, I'm not going unless you go with me. He's talking, he's praying to God, and he's saying, I need you with me to accomplish this task. But prayer, prayer opens the door for the supernatural to flood into your situation. You're asking the creator of the universe to do something supernatural in what he's already asked you to do. What a glorious thing. The Bible says that when Jesus looked up and prayed, there in the Jordan, the heavens opened. Prayer opens the doors of heaven on your life. But I want you to see something wonderful about ministry. Verse 42, so they all ate and were filled. Now imagine you're, the, uh, you're one of the disciples. You're hangry. You got five loaves and two fish, but now you're full. And I can just imagine the scene. You got 5,000 men. Let's read on and see what happens. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and the fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now, can you imagine the scene there on the side of the Sea of Galilee? You got 5,000 people, uh, excuse me, 5,000 men, so maybe seven to 8,000 people with women and children, okay? And they are all have just eaten the largest Thanksgiving dinner. They are just rolled out on their blankets like this. And I'm sure one of the guys said, honey, we're sleeping under the stars tonight because I can't move. I'm so full. 
Imagine what you feel like at Thanksgiving. This is how Jesus provided for the group, but not just the group. He provided for the disciples. He provided for the disciples. And I want you to see something back in verse 41. Look at verse 41, if you would. He gave them to his disciples. Jesus didn't distribute the food. He directed it. He supernaturally empowered it, but he did not distribute the food. He gave the work of the ministry to the disciples. That's the model of our faith. Jesus directs it. Jesus controls it. Jesus empowers us to do it, but he gives us the basket. Now, just imagine you're a disciple and you got one of the baskets. I got a lot of people at home that are hungry. Hmm, and I'm pretty hungry myself. I mean, (laughs) Philip, you go ahead. I'm going to go over here by the olive tree. I'm going to eat first, and then I'm going to, you know, (laughs) if there's anything left when I'm done. So many people in the body of Christ do this. God gives them the basket of ministry, and they hold it to themselves. And they don't get engaged and involved, but you're missing something so wonderful. The disciples were full. The 5,000 are full because when you do the ministry, the blessing flows both directions. I love when we do a community outreach and I talk to someone afterwards and they say, I led someone to Jesus. I've never done that before. And you just see their excitement and their joy and the blessing of that joy. Now, someone got saved, but the believer is just filled with joy because the blessing of ministry flows both ways. Now, this is one of the tests. You do something, he says. You get involved. This is one of the tests. Can you trust me? Can you have faith? But you remember scantrons? Remember number two pencils? I get a little twitch whenever I think about it, actually. Whoa. Um, Do you remember like we had 100 question tests and there was part one and part two? And part one was like, oh, that was easy. But then part two came and you're like, where in the, I've never learned geogamography. I mean, what are they talking about? This test has part one. And the first part of the test was their faith. But the second part of the test is to soften their hearts. Take a look at verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, so about three miles in, and he was alone on the land, so he's not with them in the boat. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, Matthew lets us know it was a tormentuous, tor, tor, that word, storm. Tor, tumultuous. Beautiful. I have a Chet language. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, there's actually someone in our body that is taking note of all the special words that I've created and creating a dictionary. Tumultuous is the word. Thank you. I can't believe I'm a communicator for a living. Thus and therefore we know this is God, not yet. All right, here we go. So there's a tumultuous storm. Now about the fourth watch, or let's say 3 a.m. in the morning, that night he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when, he, when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. Oh, look who has a need now. 
our disciples. It's funny how things change, right? When the 5,000 had a need, Jesus, send them to 7-Eleven. Like, just direct them to go to In-N-Out, go to Arby's. I don't know if you know, there's a new special out, five for five. Like, just send them out somewhere and let someone else deal with these people. We can't meet their needs. Ministry is too rough. See, Jesus knew where the disciples were at. That's why he sent them away. Uh, Let me do the crowd dismissal. Because the disciples were in the crowd, and they were not dismissing the crowd the way that Jesus would have hoped that they would dismiss the crowd. So you have Jesus on one side. Hey, God bless you. Great, glad you were here. Could you just leave? Could you just go? I mean, just imagine, they are so spent that Jesus says, hey, why don't you guys go on the boat? I'll deal with the crowd, and you guys go ahead and get a little bit more rest. You have no idea I'm about to send you to another test. But why don't you guys go, and why don't you guys just get away, because I know where you're at. Disciples get into the boat, and they're like, "Aw, Jesus is so good. He understands we finally need to get some rest. Not knowing, they're on their way to another test. Now, the Bible says he would have passed them by. Now, this isn't Jesus going, (laughs) you miserable disciples. I'm walking on the water, but I'll see you later. No, no, no. That's not what's happening. Do you remember in 1 Kings 19, when the Lord is coming to Elijah, the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, and the Lord passed by him and the mountains shook. A fire came. The wind ripped through the mountains. What the Bible is communicating when it says that he passed by them, he was coming to them. And what was in front of him was the tumultuous storm, just like the tumultuous storm that was before God when he was coming to Elijah. And so... He comes upon them, and we see the intent of why he was going to them. He says, he immediately talked to them, and he said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. He meets their need. He doesn't send them away. He doesn't say, keep rowing. He doesn't say, I see where you're at, and I'm just walking by you. It's not what he does. It's me. I'm going to meet your need. So much so, look at verse 51. Then he went up into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were greatly amazed by themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves. Now, maybe you'll underline this, because their heart was hardened. There's the issue. And that's what he was testing. He was exposing them to himself. You see, Jesus, if you remember, he looked at the crowds, he saw ministry, and he had compassion. He trusted God, despite the fact that he was weary, that God wouldn't give him any more than what he could handle. He was at rest. He was strengthened by the work. He wasn't burdened by it. The disciples, on the other hand, they wanted the crowd gone. So much so, Jesus says, could you guys just go on the boat? I'll deal with the crowd. They were done with ministry. They didn't trust God. They were not at rest. They were not doing ministry with compassion. Now I'll tell a story to my shame. (coughs) I'm in Colombia on a mission trip. 
we are ministering as a church, Calvary Chapel South Bay in Columbia on an island to children that have great need. And I was there with our school of discipleship eight years ago, working alongside with Calvary Chapel South Bay even back then. And we hauled up 100-pound bags of cement up 153 steps. Okay, I counted. I did over 20 bags. Okay, I was done. Now, foolish me, I planned an outreach at the end of hauling these cement bags, okay? And all of these children are around me, and they're ripping my clothes, and, and, they're, and they just want candy, and we've got candy, and we're giving them candy, and we're supposed to be telling them about Jesus. Well, I look over, and my Colombian counterpart, she is handing out the candy like this. Okay, linda, está bonito. She's just like speaking Spanish, like doing the whole deal, right? Okay, linda. She's like, here's a candy, here's a candy. And they're pulling on her and ripping on her. Now, here's me on the other hand. You want candy? I don't even speak Spanish. Here's some candy. Kid, get away from me. Stop pulling my shirt. Like, and I look over and I see this lady, like she's doing this whole thing and the Lord speaks to me. One of these things is not like the other. And he said very clearly to my shame, I want you to know that this mission trip counts nothing for me. Because you can have the faith to move mountains, but if you have not love, compassion, it profits you nothing, Chet. And I learned a very powerful lesson that though I'm exhausted, maybe out in that lobby, that when I need Jesus, I will cry out to him with the next person that's in front of me and ask him to give me the power and the strength so that I can lead someone else that God has entrusted to me to green pastures. Take a look at Mark chapter 6. We'll close here. When they had crossed over, verse 53, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized and ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered, villages, cities, or the country, They laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. I love this. Finally, number four, write it down. Follow the best. Follow the best example of ministry. His name is Jesus. Mark ends his direction by saying, just follow the best. You see, it's Jesus. He gave the disciples a test to reveal the best of himself. Do you remember college algebra? And you remember when you got that problem wrong and the teacher would then, you'd bring the problem to the teacher and the teacher would walk through the process to give you and get you to the right answer? That's exactly what Mark is doing. The disciples have failed. They have not solved the problem and he's showing them Jesus is the answer. Let me tell you why. Same scenario. There's people everywhere. And everywhere the people were, they had a need. They were bringing people in the village, people in the city, people in the country. Wherever Jesus was, he was ministering. He was showing the disciples, whatever God puts in front of me, I'm going to do the work of the ministry. And maybe you'll write this sentence down. Ministry is about taking care of people. That reveals the gospel in action to prepare their hearts for the word of God. It's doing the work 
and preaching the gospel. Ministry just tills the soil of the heart so that you can speak into their lives. How many of you want me out in the lobby today? God bless you. Get out. God bless you. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And by the way, pick up the garbage you just dropped. No. Everybody wants to be led to green pastures. Why don't you do the same? Would you pray with me? Our Father, I'm so thankful for the Word of God because it does something to us. It changes us. And my prayer now is that you'd move in this place in a way that you're glorified in people's hearts and people's lives. Now, church, listen to me. I know some of you want to be involved with ministry, but you need ministry right now. You need prayer. You just lost your job. Your child has gone astray. Struggling with an addiction. Your marriage is falling apart. Or you got an issue at work that you just don't know how to deal with. And you want to be involved with ministry, but right now, today, you need to be ministered to. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're at so that we can pray for you. If you need ministry today, the ministry of prayer, and you're walking through a situation in life, I see you, brother. Go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand. Let the Spirit move in your hearts. You know that you need prayer. You need ministry right now. Would you just, would you just stand up? Let the Spirit move in your hearts. This is nothing to be embarrassed about. This is, we're family. We're not a corporation. We're not a business. We're family. And we all know that we go through things in life. Amen. Now, church, I want you to look around at those who are standing. And I want you to get up out of your seat, and now you're going to do the work of the ministry. You're going to go, and you're going to lay hands on them, and you're going to pray for them. Now, if they don't want you to touch them, just go ahead and lay your hands towards them. But get up out of your seat, everyone. We're going to do the work. We're going to put this sermon into practice. Find someone that's standing, and we're going to pray for them. You're doing the work of the ministry. Let's pray. Father, for those that stood, we come before you as the church doing the work of the ministry. Prayer is the work of the ministry. We don't know the problem. We don't know the need, but we know they need ministry. And as a family, not as a business, not as a corporation, not as an organization, as a family, as a body, as the bride of Christ, we come before you on their behalf and we pray for them in Jesus' name. Break bonds, restore marriages, bring prodigals back home. We come before you and we ask, Lord, that you would be the redeemer, be their restorer, refresh their soul. And I pray now with the love that they feel from the body, that they be encouraged and loved and know they're cherished by you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the whole church said, Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.